Our scripture reading today is from John 8, 47 through 53. This can be found on page 895 in your pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that one home as a gift from us. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And the Jews answer him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek, to, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham said, Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My name is Dakota. I'm one of the pastors here, and I've had the privilege of getting to serve um, in this community alongside all of you for just over a year now. I've been thinking a lot about my ministry journey so far, and I am just so thankful for for you, for this church. Um, It's just been such a place of welcome and hospitality and connection for me and for my family um, as we moved here, coming out of seminary. So thank you for for walking alongside us, and and for those of you who've allowed us to walk alongside you in Let me be up here and preach. Uh, Thank you. Um, I truly do consider it a huge privilege um, to be up here, to be able to open up God's word with you. So we're going to do that. First, I wanted to share about an event that we have coming up. So our campus has been learning about and leaning into finding healing from the mental and emotional struggles that many of us have faced in the last year or more. We tackled the draining pole of technology with our Screen Sanity workshop last November, and then in September last year, we heard from a licensed counselor about managing our responses to the trauma of the COVID-19 pandemic. We do believe that um, maintaining our mental and emotional health is spiritual work. Since God, God wants to work in all of us, all of who we are, our mind, our body, and our spirit. But sometimes, our emotional wounds are caused by the spiritual community itself or its leaders. And so in several weeks, there's going to be a church hurt and spiritual trauma event when we'll have the opportunity to be guided by a licensed professional clinical counselor who's helped many people kind of navigate and heal from wounds experienced in the church. Now, Aaron Mitchum, um, he is a counselor, he led a similar event at our downtown campus. And so we're going to be able to, he's going to help us understand the reality of spiritual trauma, um, how it impacts us and our relationships, and then how we can begin to heal, maybe even through our spiritual community. So there's going to be a time for anonymous Q&R afterwards, and the event's going to be after the second service, after 1045, on Sunday, August 21st. And lunch will be provided, and you can find out more details as well as a link to register on our website. 
So now, as we turn to hear God's word, um, let's, let's pray for the Spirit's help with that. Let's pray. Lord, God, we need you. We need your Spirit. Um, and we do confess that we need your help um, at all times, but we, um, we are gathered here together to worship you, to, um, to hear your word, and I pray that, um, that you would step in. God, we know that you are present. That I just pray that you would open up our, um, our eyes and our ears to be attentive, to pay attention um, to you and what you're speaking, what you want to say and what you want to teach us. Pray that you help me, Holy Spirit, to speak as you want me to speak, um, that your word would go out. Um, yeah, and that we would all, um, yeah, be softened in our hearts um, to be able to receive your word. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for these people gathered here together. I just pray that you would, um, yeah, bless your time. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So in college, I lived in a house with 10 guys. There was 10 of them. And we were always kind of bringing whatever we wanted. People were bringing furniture that they found on the side of the road, just kind of bringing it home. They found a door to use as a table. Uh, just bringing whatever to add to our collection. And so one day, one of my roommates brought home this massive portrait of a white Italian Jesus. He just found it at a dumpster, and he hung it up on our wall, just like front and center. And it was fine, but maybe uh, a little unnerving. <laughs> but it was peaceful enough, right? It wasn't making any demands on our lives just kind of absorbed into our world. And over time, this picture of white Italian Jesus just faded into the background. So by hanging him up on that wall like that, we made him, this ethnically inaccurate Jesus, just a piece of the decoration, an add-on. Who do we make Jesus to be? Sometimes I think we make him into whatever we want. One of my favorite authors, Matt Michelados, he wrote a book called My Imaginary Jesus. And in this book, the main character is kind of walking around Portland, Oregon, and he ends up meeting all of these different Jesuses that people made up. So he meets communist Jesus, he meets conservative Jesus, he meets men's ministry Jesus, and all these Jesuses he meets that people made up. And I'll let you read it to find out how he meets the real Jesus. But that's just so what we do, right? We make Jesus to be whatever we want. Like the white Italian living room decoration Jesus, who says, follow me, you'll never lack topics for small talk when you host. Or summer camp Jesus, follow me, you'll never be bored. or political party line Jesus. Follow me, you'll never be wrong. There's John Wayne Jesus. Follow me, and I'll make you a real man. 
There's self-help Jesus. Follow me, and I won't make you do anything, except maybe make you feel guilty for not being minimalist enough. (laughs) There's California hippie Jesus, who I know very well, who says, follow me, and we'll be bros, bro. And then there's Midwest nice Jesus. He says, follow me, and you'll never know how I really feel. (laughs) However he turns out looking, we tend to make Jesus more palatable. We make him fit our culture, our lifestyle, our world. But if you take Jesus at his word, he will remake your world. He will remake your world, not just fit into. So this is, this is the question um, that confronted the Jewish leaders. This is the statement. Um, they started to believe in him, and then his word challenged their world. It made them question their world. And so they asked, who do you make yourself out to be, Jesus? So first we need to drill down to why they were even asking him this, why they were arguing about this. Why were they so offended that they insulted Jesus with this derogatory term and then in the same breath accused him of having a demon? Really? Just over a little argument about, about what? About words? No, this was about way more than words. Jesus responds to these insults actually with two of the most shocking statements a Jewish teacher could make. First, in verse 51, he says, anyone who keeps my word will never see death. And then verse 58, later on, he says, before Abraham was, I am. What Jesus is doing is he's straight up claiming that he, a human, not to mention a carpenter's son whose birth was kind of wrapped up in scandal, he is eternal and the source of eternal life itself. This is the breaking point in John's narrative. We've been going through this series called Signs of Life, and the sign in our passage that Jesus is eternal is the point where Jesus' statements about himself reach a climax. People can't take it anymore. From this point on, Jesus is a wanted man. They want him dead. So to get a little bit of a sense of why what Jesus says is so explosive, I thought we could translate this into our own context a little bit. So imagine a politician. And he's got a small devoted base and a much larger crowd that starts to be interested in him, testing the waters, waiting to hear some more of his policies. But there's been some heat. There's been some accusations thrown his way. And so he holds a rally. And people are thinking, all right, now he's going to tell us what he's really about. No more lies or rumors. And he gets up to the podium, and what does he say? I wrote the Constitution. All of it came from me. That was my idea, the part about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That was me. Three-branch government, me. If you vote for me, 
you align yourself with the true leader of the free world. Before the USA ever existed, I was there. I made it. And I keep making this whole country happen, and really the whole world. So follow me, folks. Oh, also, you'll never die. And so you pick up the proverbial stone. And at best, you don't vote for the guy. Or maybe you just take it straight to Twitter and you drag him all over the internet. We think we know Jesus. Yeah, he's God. Of course. But we've become so desensitized to what that means. We don't actually stand in front of Jesus and take him at his word. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take Jesus at his word. And we're going to do that by inhabiting his world. By imagining ourselves there, listening to him speak. And really, this is how the gospel narratives are designed to be read. We're supposed to put ourselves into the story. So let's do that. Let's imagine what it would be like to be those Jewish leaders standing there, listening to Jesus say these things. And as we do that, let's ask ourselves, how are you receiving him? What do his words mean for us? What do they challenge about our world or our core beliefs? Who do we think he is? Who do we make Jesus out to be? All right, so imagine it. You are a first century Jew, and your whole life is organized around your identity as a child of Abraham, as a member of the chosen people of God. You go to the temple faithfully every year to remember how God chose your people out of all the peoples of the earth, how he rescued you from Egypt and gave Moses the Torah, the very words of God himself that make you a special people. How he gave you this land that you're standing on as a special possession, your rightful inheritance as children of Abraham. And you remember how God gave you King David to lead you to glory and gave you through David's pen the unmatched book of the Psalms. And you remember the prophets through whom God promised exile but also promised hope and restoration after exile and it came true. At least in part, right? Your return from exile, you are back in the land, you're worshiping at the temple and you're awaiting a king like David who would vanquish your enemies and install an everlasting kingdom. This is the Messiah who in Greek is called the Christ. You hang on to this promise. And God spoke about this coming king in Isaiah 9, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. You, along with all the Jews standing there around you, have been utterly shaped by this story at the core of your being, and nothing in the world makes any sense without it. You are a child of Abraham, and your people alone among all the peoples of the earth have special access to God and his eternal promises. I mean, just listen to Psalm 105, verses 5 through 10. This is your anthem. 
your constitution, your whole identity. It says, remember the works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant. And here comes Jesus. You are not of God. No wonder they get so fired up. And Jesus keeps going. He says, I honor the Father. You dishonor me, but he glorifies me. Truly, truly, as in listen up, don't you miss this, if anyone, yes, he said anyone, if anyone keeps my word, they will never see death. Jesus is saying he is that everlasting king who is promised in Isaiah 9. He is the suffering servant that we learn about later in Isaiah, chapter 53, who's going to redeem God's people. Jesus alone keeps the Father's word perfectly. He fulfills every eternal promise that God made, and he offers the same life that he has with the Father to anyone who places their trust in him. This is the whole point of this gospel that we're reading. John wrote it in chapter 20, verse 30, 31. He tells us, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which were not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus is offering participation in God's own life for anyone who keeps, loves, cherishes, abides in his word. Which is a word from our last week's passage in verse 31. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And to abide in something is to delight in it, is to to derive your whole sense of being, your whole identity, your whole world from it. And Jesus says this about his word. He says, if you do this, if anyone becomes my, my disciple by keeping my word, then you will never see death. In Christ, anyone can have the everlasting promise that was given to David. What? Who does this young fool from Nazareth think he is? Right? Now we know he has a demon. And so they double down just to be sure that their murderous desires are justified. They yell, Abraham died, the prophets died, who do you make yourself out to be? So who does Jesus make himself out to be? All right, I'm going to ask us to take this imaginative exercise a step further. We imagined what it would be like to be those Jewish leaders listening to Jesus. Now let's inhabit Jesus' story. As he's standing there, 
talking about who he is, saying these things that Jewish leaders are just generally not supposed to be able to say, what is going through his mind? So just imagine it. You're Jesus. And first off, you think, they want to kill me. But it's not my time yet, and they need me. They need to know me. I've been with them all along, and I'm not abandoning them now. So let's go further back. Back before David, before the prophets. They want to talk about Abraham? I made Abraham. The only way they'll change their ways, the only way they'll change their whole world is through a shock factor. Right? Just straight up, no beating around the bush. They won't receive it. Maybe not now, but I need to give it to them. And so in verses 54 to 56, you, Jesus, essentially say, I'm not the one making much of myself. It's my father. You know, the one about whom you say he is our God? But you don't really know him. I do. I know him. And I do what he says. You know, Abraham, the guy you're calling your father and you're claiming as your own, he looked at me and rejoiced. He saw me and what I'm going to do and who I am, and he was really, really happy about it. What about you? And immediately, they're just up in arms yelling at you. You're not even 50. You're basically a child. How dare you tell us that you've seen Abraham? You don't know what you're talking about. And here comes the kicker. The moment. The sign of all signs. Truly, truly, you say. Because you're about to blow their minds. Before Abraham was. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. The most weighty words you could say at just the right moment with just the right emphasis because you had to let them know who you are, what you've done, and where you've been. And then immediately you flash back in your mind to that time you looked down at your children who were stuck and enslaved in Egypt and who were crying out to you for help and you spoke to them. And you called one of them, Moses, to lead them to freedom, and you told him who you were so he could tell them. You said to him, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Then you also told Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord I am, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Then you flash back further to a man that you called from his pagan homeland to go and become a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And you spoke to him, and you told this man, Abram, that his name would be changed so that he would always remember your promise. You said to him, Behold, My covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. And you don't stop there. As you stand there in front of these Jewish leaders, you flash back to a garden. 
a garden where you walked with your beloved humans you just made from the dirt, a garden that you made simply by saying the word. You gave life to this place, to these people, but they turned from you. They rebelled against the life of flourishing you made for them, and they brought death to the world and to themselves. These are your beloved children who you made to spread your loving rule across the world and your image. And they were going to die. And their children after them, they needed to be saved from themselves. So you made a promise spoken towards the enemy of their lives, Satan, who had taken the form of a snake, who you came to destroy. You said, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And all of a sudden, all of that flashes back forward through the centuries and the millennia as you watch these people who you made and who you spoke your promise to abandon you for other gods, leave you over and over, and yet you keep keeping all of the words that you spoke to them, and it leads up to the day, to your day. Abraham saw it. Moses predicted that you would come. David sang about you. And then your disciple, the one whom you love, your beloved John, he kept your word close to his heart and he wrote about you. That day that you were born, as he wrote, was the day in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal word of God. God himself became human. And you came for them. You lived with them. You made friends with them. You sat at their tables. You sat with their sick. You laughed. You cried and you argued. And you showed them. You, told up, you straight up told them, right? I am. I am your God. I am the Messiah who's come to rescue you as I always said that I would. Now jump back quick to imagine how the Jewish leaders took this. Now, we already know who this man is. This is too far. This is too uncomfortable, too shocking and world-shaking. This man, the carpenter's son with the sketchy birth, it, it couldn't be true, could it? No, no way. This would mean that anyone can be God's child through him. This is not how the whole Messiah thing was supposed to work out. We are the chosen ones. This is dangerous. And you know the law. You know that Deuteronomy 13 says it's a capital offense for the prophet to lead the people astray. So, devout first century Jew that you are, you pick up a stone. As a Jewish leader, you pick up a stone and everyone around you does the same thing. Has the same gut reaction. Then He just disappears somehow. Miraculously, he escapes, and you're left there, still coming down from your hot anger or your shock, standing with a stone in your hand. Friends, this isn't just some strange imaginative trip that we're taking. This is you. This is me. 
This is all of us in our own ways, in the context of our own stories. We do the same thing. Not picking up literal stones, but, but in our hearts. If we've ever come to that a point in our lives where we look Jesus in the face and we're confronted to take him at his word and we think, no, no way. That's too much. This is too dangerous. You're not really asking me to believe that, are you? I'm supposed to do what with my political enemies? I'm supposed to love them? Like in real life? With grace and truth? Not just one or the other? The truth is, each of us has a story that shapes our world. Your story is not the first century Jewish leader's story, but Jesus is in your story. He's showing himself to you. He's speaking to you. He wants to remake your world. He wants nothing more than to give his life to you, to give eternal life in relationship with the God who made you. He wants to give this to you in him, to be with him. And so now I'm going to ask you to do it one more time with me. Imagine with me. Imagine and inhabit your own story. As you do that, ask yourself, who does Jesus want to make you? So dwell in your story now, even here in this room. Close your eyes if you have to. Take a deep breath in out and try to call to mind significant memories from your life from your family growing up from school from church communities imagine all the events and places and people that have made you you There are going to be some fond, warm memories coming up, and that's good. Welcome these. Express even now in your heart gratitude to God for these moments. And without a doubt, I know for me and for many of you, there will be some scary, dark, painful moments and memories too. So notice these. They're real. Don't have to dwell there, but look at them directly. As if from above, let them point you to what these moments have taught you about the world, about yourself, about other people, about God. Feel them. Feel the weight of carrying these messages around in your memory, the burden of bringing them with you wherever you go. They're part of your story, too. Now, as you're recalling your story, imagine Jesus is here now with you as you relive relive these moments. Imagine he's sitting beside you, maybe placing his hand on your shoulder or just folding his hands in your lap, whatever feels more loving to you, and he's looking at you tenderly, knowing you, 
knowing all of you, all of these memories, all of your moments, knowing all of your pain, your thoughts, your feelings, your doubts, your wounds and joys and sin and shame. And he looks at you, a warm half-smile coming over his face, as he gently beholds you in his gaze and he speaks. What does he say to you? Drop the stone, child. Friends, we go through life collecting moments that have taught us a certain way of living in the world. Our childhood selves became our teenage selves who became or will become our adult selves. And we learn to make our life on our own, to live our own way to find meaning and value and purpose in the world. And when that way of being is threatened, is challenged, is thrown off course, it can feel dangerous. So whether we realize it or not, many, or maybe most of us, walk around with a metaphorical stone in our hands, waiting for the threats to come. And then into our lives walks Jesus. Drop the stone, child. He says, if anyone keeps my word, not your own word, not the political party's word, not the message you got from your parents or the message from your, the popular kid at school, not TikTok's word, not your self-loathing, body-shaming's word, not your depression's word or your anxiety's words or the shame's word at failing your spouse or kids or parents. Jesus says that if anyone, if you, no matter what you've done, comes to him and loves his word, you will never see death. Everything that feels like death in your world will not have the final word. Friends, this is why Jesus came. And he came for you right in those very places where death feels the closest. He's with you. Even now. And there's no place he'd rather be. So the way that we respond to Jesus' word that he is the eternal God and that he is the only way to true life. The way we respond to Jesus reveals how well we're doing at taking him at his word and letting him remake our world so that we become more and more into people who look like him, like God's beloved son. So do we cherish and love and abide in Jesus' word? How do we tend to respond when our world is threatened or shaken or turned upside down? Is our gut reaction to pick up a stone or to let Jesus lead us through it? Because if you take Jesus seriously, he can't just be a living room wall decoration. He will remake your world. If we take Jesus at his word, then he is the God who made us, who came to live in our messy, broken world, and who came to give himself up on the cross on his own choice because he loved us so that we can be 
reconciled with God and reconciled to the relationships we were always made for, to walk with God in his creation alongside his people. So if any challenging memories came up for you this morning and you'd like someone to talk with or pray with, there's going to be people in the corners of the room who would really love to pray with you about anything, and you can also find me or one of the other pastors or someone else, but please do reach out or submit a prayer card or email us. Resist the temptation to shrug it off. And if it's something that you might want help talking with someone who's professionally licensed, who's trained to help with these sort of things, we would also love to help you connect with someone. This new life, this life of restoration can begin and deepen today. Trust in Jesus. Say in the quiet of your heart that you need him, that you need his word, and he will be already there. Waiting to take you by the hand and lead you further up and further in to this life as God's beloved son or daughter. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, thank you so much for coming to us, God, for coming and not only speaking to us, not only dying for us, but giving us your word that we um, can hold it close and live by it and know who you are. Um, God, thank you for being a God who is not far off God, that you don't stand far away and let us try to figure things out on our own, but you have come to us into the midst of our stories, our our pain, our shame, our joy. Um, And you want to be there with us and make us new. God, thank you. Thank you for your love. Just pray that you would lead us um, by your spirit. If there's anything that came up today, um, not to shy away from it, God, but you would lead us, give us boldness and bravery and confidence um, in the work that you're doing in our hearts uh, to be able to, um, to bring that to you in prayer, of course, but also to bring that to the people that you have put in our lives. Maybe it's family or friends um, or someone in this church, God. Lead us uh, to unite together in your name, Jesus, that we would um, give our lives to you, our whole lives, and we would hold nothing back. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.